0: Coming up on the Assassin's Podcast, episode number one, we have got Andrea Barica, legendary pitch coach from 500 Startups, currently the co-founder and CEO of O-School, joining us to talk about the psychology of the founder's pitch and how that pitch got us on the front page of TechCrunch. She talks a little bit more about how timing and hype cycles can help influence pitch strategy. And with O-School... She hits on the similarities between selling money and sex. It is a hot episode, tons of learning, a lot of great information to share. Excited to have her on. Alright, Assassins. Let's get it going.
1: Us, Us, Grind, Grind. Us, them the us, us, Grind. Assassin's state of Mind. Us Grind. See them dollar signs assassin state of mind assassin state of mind hustle grind see them dollar signs way above the bottom line assassin state of mind hustle grind see them dollar signs assassin state of mind assassin state of mind, state of mind. Hustle, grind. hustle grind see them dollar signs way above the bottom line assassin state of mind they say money over everything
0: what's going on everybody this is justin de your host of the assassins podcast i've got a really special person in the studio today she's been a personal mentor of mine a coach she was involved really early on in the early stages of disco through the company growing through 500 startups i'll let her kind of do her general intro but she's now the founder of an incredible organization o school which I'm excited to have her share her story a little bit more, but Andrea Barica, welcome to the assassins podcast. So much love for you. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Let's get into it. I'd love to maybe just give an intro to yourself, to O school, a little overview on how we met and what we're talking about today.
2: Love it. Sales is the most fun to talk about and yeah, so I, I. When I first got into tech, it was 12 years ago, it was 2010. And so before O school, I started out building accounting software and actually led sales over there and didn't have any tech background whatsoever. I was actually a trained linguist and to save money, I actually got trained and licensed to sell Aflac insurance. So I'm really down for this chat because I got trained in sales, what feels like a million years ago. And I feel like it's changed so much, but also the fundamentals are still there. And then I went on after that, I worked in venture. I helped hundreds and hundreds of founders raise money. I think I've helped people raise over like, like 80 or hundred million dollars now of pre-seed and seed money. And all of that was informed by doing sales myself for many years and also learning not just how to pitch and Craft the story and really be able to transfer emotion. I, for me, sales is a transfer of emotion a lot of times, and, and understanding and be able to anticipate what someone needs. And fundraising has a lot. It's not the same, but there's a lot of skills that I gain from traditional sales and leading sales teams. I'm excited to get in there
0: with you. Yeah. I had similarly like a non-traditional sales background that kind of came from the product line. Similarly too, I don't know if you knew that, so I was, I came from Intuit. So I was working on accounting software, so there was even that connection, but I think what was really cool is going through 500 startups and the title for this episode is around how you helped us get to the front page of TechCrunch. Some frameworks that you think about as you help entre- coach entrepreneurs around the structure of the pitch.
2: I am all about Getting someone to tell me first what makes them not investable. I think I start there because oftentimes people, what do they do when they have to pitch anything? They pull, they go to Google and they're like, pitch template, and of course they're given this cookie cutter kind of thing where it's like problem, solution, market, team, competition, business model, and it's just there's no narrative there. And what we know about the human brain, I'm a cog- again, I studied cognitive science and linguistics that was the foundation that i had when i started selling and helping people pitch and so i like to get a story out of things like what's really like the core nugget and so i would ask people like what's what are the top reasons first to, first before we get into the pitch like why should someone not invest in you i like to start there and the second thing mm-hmm. i like to do and i did this with all the 500 founders is I really would constrain the time that they had to talk to me about their business. Like that 60 seconds is key because it's about distillation. It's really easy to ramble for 10 minutes. It's actually, that's the easiest pitch to do because you don't have to make any choices about what's actually interesting or what's actually differentiated about your business. Mm. the third thing that I would do with founders that was key was psychology of the investors at that time. And I say at that time because I've gone out in various teams to raise in 2010, 2016, 2022. Every time I've gone out, it's been a different ecosystem. And so if you're spending all your time just on your pitch and your company, you're actually missing out because just like sales pitching, it's about the other person's psychology. What's in the market for them? What are they looking at? What what has what have the investors been burned on? What are their wounds? What are their traumas? We have to know that because when I was coaching in you, back a few years ago, the trends were not the same. And so if you're taking a, a pitch playbook and applying it, the timing of it and what's happening around it should be part of that. And so when people come to me and they want to just get my playbook, I'm like, what year is it? What space you yeah. in? Yeah. All of that. And I think, so, so the psychology aspect is non-trivial because I'm think I'm hearing people's pitch and I'm like, oh, you're really insecure about this part. And that's
0: I, why I could, that's why I was calling you half the time. I feel like over the last five years, it wasn't even pitch advice. It was just life advice. It's a
2: emotional thing. Pitching, yeah. selling You're out there trying to influence people. Yeah. and What I often find is the piece that people don't want to spend time on. That's why I ask, what makes you uninvestable, or this is another question I love asking people when I'm coaching them is what question or what part of the pitch is your least favorite? Like, what do you dread? And often we go there because what makes someone successful in pitching or sales is this sense of inevitability. Yeah. I'm, this is happening with or without you. This is going to go. And that conviction, what kills it is when people have a wound or they're insecure about their traction, or they know that they know investors think their TEM is not that exciting, even though it is. And those things come through. And so my job as a coach is to be like, what are the blocks? What are the mental blocks? What are the, oh, you got burned. You had two startups fail for this reason. So you're pitching, oh, you're overcompensating for that. And this I feel it. And then what I often do to then, because I'm just one data point, right? Like I'm not, it's not like I just know the most about every space that's like farthest from the truth. But what I think is my superpower as a coach is I don't have that attachment to any piece of the story. And we can then take the feedback you're getting from the market. I'm not, it's not working. And then distilling that into what has to change in your pitch, because there is no one perfect pitch. You have to be a chameleon. You have to pull out different pitches for different people in different times, in different communities.
0: So good. Yeah. Do Building on that point, and I know we, we talk a lot about the art of the pitch and structuring it. And I think, and there's so many things that are applicable to even communicating similar value to customers. And one thing I know we talked about before we jumped on was just your experience, kind of building and scaling your own sales organizations, going from zero to one, one to three million, like in the early stages. And I'd love maybe if you had to talk through that journey as well, some of the things that you've learned either originally building out that team or like just things that you think are useful that you would share with folks?
2: I really, that's the part I know, zero to three. I left my first company. So I started out just ops, that co-founder that did everything. And suddenly we did a pivot. We were building like a mint.com for small businesses. And then we went up market. So we went from charging people like $20 a month where people would self-service, sign up themselves. And then it was like thousands. Of dollars a month, so it was a different. So we made mm. this switch, and of course, then it was like, Oh, we need a sales team. And at the time, I had never done sales, I never done anything, I had zero experience whatsoever. But I was the person that was there, and it was my job to basically make the cat make the sales to unlock the next round of funding. So at that point, and we ended up doing it. I think I put a million dollars in are pretty much by myself and just my other co founder helping support, and we did it in 10 months. Damn. And Honestly, looking back, I think it was my lack of experience that even made that possible because that seemed like such an impossible goal. I didn't use a CRM. People asked me, how did you do that? And they're really always disappointed with my answer because they expect there to be like, I used this tool or I had this pitch. And the truth was that I knew we, and this was just from, I was like 22 at the time. So I had very little career experience to fall back on and i used a whiteboard and i just started to track relationships conversations and i remember looking back what i'm impressed of when i look back is how many referrals i, I was getting and i definitely think like there are the churn and burn people like i worked with people who used to be cold callers and they hit their quotas and they just know how to run a process the journey if you look at that diagram like i was definitely more maverick than journeyman maverick being Natural talent, go and pitch it, use your relationship skills, get the deal done, but maybe you're not very process-oriented. And then I ended up working with, like, later on, like, journeymen, they were just, like, run the process, do the X many calls, X many tracking the conversion rates. I grew into that, but in the early days, it was really an exercise of getting really clear on exactly the type of psychology of the people buying my, my, my service. And then also getting really clear on the adjacent people. For example, selling accounting software early in the days. we I did outbound emailing, which worked fairly well. So I was doing howdy, like before when subject lines, I think now like everyone does this, but this was yeah. like 2012. And my most converting subject line for cold outreach was like howdy. <laughs> all lower caps and i tried other stuff like need to do your tax you do the thing that you learn and i was like all right these are okay but i was getting like nutty response rates and for things like howdy and then my my copy inside was really like yo you need help with this although like super cash and direct no tools i didn't use anything it was just direct emails that i was sending out and then later on when that i made like probably a couple hundred k doing that and i was like all right you gotta do other stuff then I started doing free education. I started doing talks for free at different places to uh, business bankers. So I started thinking about like the user journey to the point of, okay, what happens when someone starts a business and they get a bank account? They're like, oh shit, accounting software. So I was like, let's go play there. And so I started making relationships with Wells Fargo bankers, like just random people at banks. And I said, hey, if someone needs help, meet me. And this doesn't scale. A lot of people hear the story and they're like, but that doesn't scale. And I'm like, yeah, but in the beginning, you don't even know how to build something. You don't even know if it's going to work, let alone if it scales. So I'm literally talking like the first set of sales. Like I, that advice that you hear, do things that are unscalable. That was me. I had a whiteboard. I was out there just trying things. I was meeting people in person at banks, trying to see if I could convert people they would send me. I started doing talks and then but what happened is that first 30 customers that I sold, maybe that's accounted for, yeah, two, 300K of ARR, a lot of people came from that group. And that's where people try to cut corners with customer service. I'm like, that's going to cost you in churning sales, people trying to get deals. Because what I really looked at was, okay, I made the first 20 sales. Can all of them send me people? And that only actually works. It actually doesn't work unless those people are like super happy with it. Yeah. And that's the hard part of that. And so I definitely had a couple like sleep, like it wasn't sustainable. I definitely had a couple moments crying in Italian restaurants with my co-founders being like, I can't sustain, like making the customers happy and selling more, like you have to help me yeah. with this. So th- there definitely was, it was definitely tough, but then that led the basis in that got us that, those type of strategies got us to about 3 million ARR. And that was the point in my sales career that I was like, do I want to learn how to take coming from three to 10? And for me, I end up. That's where I hopped into venture, and I started to do more the investment pitching. But that's just my again. When I tell people all the time, when you're going from three to ten, call someone else. I really like helping with. I think this because you don't know what's going to get the first million, right? Like half the time, people can guess, but until you actually do it, yeah. it's a lot of. Not, it's not software. It's not like how good your CRM is. It's do you really understand the customer? Do you really understand the people who know your target customers and can you get to them? Yeah. That, that was a journey.
0: What was the catalyst to move into Nero to focus on more of a sales driven approach?
2: It just wasn't working. Like the CAC. Yeah. Like, like when people want to build, I feel like direct, to, back in the day, consumer was free trial sign up for a subscription that was coming out of yc in 2010 that the first million bucks we raised was on the basis of we're going to be mint.com for business yeah problem people who spend 99 dollars a month it's actually just the same amount of work if not more to support that person than to support someone who's paying five thousand dollars a month the issue you can't afford a salesperson if your ltv is super low the so this the economics did not work because of the need. And we know this now, if you look at, I think what Quick QuickBooks online was our main competitor, but you still needed an accountant. You still needed a tax accountant. You still needed all these things. And Jess and I came together and we're like, people just want us to do all of it. So why don't we just charge them a lot more to do all of it? Yeah. And that became the company that's still growing today.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. I, and it's, I've been talking to a couple different founders that have been looking at like B2B payments and businesses like bill.com. When we started disco, there, there was not even an option for accounts payable software. We didn't even touch the software, and we were paying two hundred bucks a month for something I had no idea why the value was there. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's pretty cool. I
2: just um, up for you, Justin. Too, I see a lot of vitamin companies out there in software, and we yeah. were building a vitamin. The first iteration of Bandinero was a vitamin, and yeah. to make it a painkiller, to make it actually solve people's real pain, because that was the other thing. There was no software good enough to get a business owner to want to use the software. Like you yeah. don't start a small business to do good accounting. It's just right. something no one will ever be like excited. It doesn't matter how good the software is. It was just a vitamin. And so to make it a painkiller, we had to fundamentally change the customer.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. I'd love to take just a, a moment to hear more about what you're working on now. I think it's incredibly valuable and something I've just been such a huge fan of since the beginning of the foundation of the organization, but would love, yeah, would love for you to share sort of your journey to old school and what you're working on now.
2: So imagine me at 500 startups, best job in the world. I'm traveling the world. I'm like meeting founders globally, bringing them to San Francisco. It was like the best job. And also I knew I had a company in me. I I knew VC was not my future. It was to date the most fun job I ever had. And I think that's the mindset you should be when you start a company, because it's been six years almost of a slog and around that time, I was getting really interested in feminine, uh, like femtech as a space. You were starting to see like audiences who are really underserved, like menstrual, like reproductive care, but I wanted to do something in sexual wellness. I wanted to do something that was really going to attack what I was at the time really going through. I grew up in a Filipino Catholic family. And so we, I was going through identity stuff. I was going through, never having had sex ed. and of course, at my fund, I was like, let's go fund this stuff. So I go out and I try to invest in those companies. And of course, I started learning about all these barriers around sexual wellness as a space. And I got so obsessed, kept hearing things about the barriers to fund those things. And I decided to start a company while I was there. The fund supported me gave me my first round, pushed me out, and we were building a sexual wellness education platform, went through every iteration. We went through a live streaming iteration. But what really floated to the top was a few big problems in the space is customer acquisition. So unlike other spaces, if you're trying to sell a sexual wellness product, take a vibrator for example, you cannot sell it in a Facebook ad. Yeah, it's funny, yeah. right now like everyone's ah oh, Facebook is no one's getting good at good like results were or, or getting worse results from Facebook. But Interestingly, even in the earliest days, I saw an opportunity because, oh, this is a really hard space to sell anything in. It's just yeah. really tough. And imagine I've gone through, it's been really tough to fundraise for the company. It's hard to sell things in the space. It's just really nascent. It's really new. There's not a lot of infrastructure. And people tease me like because I, I can pitch a lot of different things. And I went into a space that did not have any institutional dollars really going into it. And I did end up being able to raise a few million dollars for the company. And during that process of building this sexual wellness platform, we serve, we've served like 25 million people globally with sex ed. Now we're getting into products, selling like partnerships, insights partnerships. We're actually, we have actually have a data component that did not occur to me until a couple years ago, actually during the pandemic. And so I'm actually putting my sales hat on again, even though it's been mostly a direct, like a consumer company, we're actually getting back into selling insights packages to brands and it's been a journey, man. It's, it's, it's you know what I love about it? Here's it, here it is. I've sold accounting software. People always were like, what does finance and accounting have to do with sex? and actually a lot because in in the sexual illness world everyone knows there's a lot of money there but it's a shame there's a lot of shame and taboo so no you can't put a facebook ad out people don't share it. it doesn't organically go viral because people don't want to be open about it publicly but guess what FinTechs works the same way. If you're doing debt consolidation, finance. People don't share things about bankruptcy. So money and sex are the two things I think people the most shame over. And that's yeah. what I like to sell because it's hard mode, man. It's yeah. not selling anything else.
0: It's the maverick, yo. You're a market finder. That was that's I think that plays it back so well when you talked about there's no playbook for this. You said there were no in, there's nobody institutionally that was looking at this as a no. space. And it's yo, I had to figure out how to reframe this to speak to an audience in a way that was going to hit home at the right time. And it's just, it's crazy to hear how the story all came together and how you are able to apply what you took from just the earliest stages of your career up until getting old school rolling. So it's pretty cool to see. Andrea, how can people get at you if they want to get in touch with you? I'd love to, as we wrap it down, just want to thank you two for being on and just sharing your story with us. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch?
2: I'm with the cool kids on LinkedIn. That is actually Ooh. the best way to get at me. Andrea Barica on LinkedIn. O school is, uh, is www.o.school. You can find all of the content in us, but actually I'm, I'm, I'm I'm with the, I don't know, linked. LinkedIn, LinkedIn still, I think it's the place it's, for me right now.
0: That's where the things happen. That's where all the things happen. Yeah. Know, um,
2: Gen Z likes LinkedIn. I've seen the numbers. Gen Z is like into like, like, LinkedIn. Oh, I mean- think.
0: I bet. I, I live and die by it. I've been there. It's like where that's where it all goes down. Awesome. Thank you so much again for taking the time and uh, just mad appreciation. And yeah, excited to see where you take old school and we'll keep in touch here. All right. That is a wrap, man. Big shout out to Andrea and the team at old school. Just continuing to crush, dropping some serious knowledge bombs on how to tighten up the founders pitch and just really appreciate. Uh, all of her support over the years and excited for this upcoming week. We've got Skylar Brown, co-founder of strong DM coming on to talk about his fundraising story, their journey at strong DM, a really great, uh, really great episode and podcast coming up next week. Also, if you hit assassins.com, A S A A S I N S sign up for the newsletter. We are going to be dropping some knowledge bombs of our own every week. sharing. Sharon, A couple of really nice insights at companies that are crushing at the Series A and seed stages. So, you're going to want to sign up for that. And we've got a couple content pieces on the site as well. So, check that out. But until then, appreciate you tuning in. Keep hustling, keep grinding.
1: See them dollar signs, hustle, hustle. grind. grind. Like nobody, yeah. Assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, age in the game Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange, appreciation.